On this episode of the Breaking the Game show, Kenneth and I go over our top 100 players list. Yes, we continue. Kenneth and I both go over our 51st through 75th players, but I also catch up and go through my 76th through 100th players. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll be right back with you after this short break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Breaking the Game Show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I'm Stephen Gillespie, and joining me is co-host Kenneth Cotterell. Kenneth, what's up, man? How we doing? I'm doing well. Just just came back from the bachelor party, um, feeling the effects. Uh, thus, my trusty <laughs> water with Mio here. But uh, super excited to talk some hoops and uh, break down our player lists. Yeah, man, absolutely. And for those who don't remember, Kenneth, you know, we went through our top 100 players, or should I say, you started with your top 100 players, and I felt the need to kind of develop my own and try to play catch up. But just real quick, I know that you put out your, um, you know, 76 through 100 players within your top 100, and you had a couple clarifying remarks that you wanted to throw out there. Let's go ahead and dive into those. Yeah, definitely. So when I went through 100 through 76 last week, I had already like my list 100 through one was already ready to go. And then I was thinking after the show and I was like, oh, no, there was one guy that I missed and he's going to be on the list tonight. You'll see him a little bit later on here. But it was a guy that missed all of last year that was injured. But heading into this year, he's going to be 100 percent and ready to go. So uh, that means that Dante DiVincenzo from last week will be dropping off the list. Uh, to make room for this guy it's a guy that I just couldn't leave off so uh, if you guys stay tuned you can see who that guy is later on in the show yeah absolutely and just to kind of catch up on my end Kenneth uh, I'm going to go ahead and call up this graphic that I have here for those listening you're just going to have to um, just keep doing what you're doing and listening and appreciate everyone tuning in here on the nothing but that channel on dash radio Um, brought to you by manscaped which is the best in men's below the waist grooming Manscaped offers precision engineer tools for your family jewels. Go over to manscaped.com, enter in promo code BTG, and they'll hook you up with a 20% discount and free shipping on anything that you purchase. Go to manscaped.com and enter in promo code BTG. So, Kenneth, I'm going to go ahead and call up my graphic here, and we'll just go kind of like what we did for you last week in groups of five, and we can just do some quick hits but because we're going to dive into our 51 through 75 range within our top 100 players. So, Kenneth, I have caught up here um, my top my top players, and just starting off with our, the bottom of the 100. Um, at 100, I have Andre Drummond. 99th, I have Kyle Kuzma. At 98th, I have Derrick Rose. And at 96th, I have our guy Dylan Brooks. What do you think about that? Uh, quite a few of those guys were on my list last week. I guess the notable omission would be Andre Drummond, but that's probably just my Lakers bias coming into it more than anything else because I wasn't that impressed by what he had done with the Lakers. Um, I think the fit there is is a bit confusing, especially if you're trying to run LeBron and AD at the same time. There's not really a lot of room for Drummond. He kind of needs to play that Dwight Howard role. Oh, wait, Dwight Howard's on the team again. So, <laughs> so I guess I'm just unsure of what his role is going to be with the team. That would be why I left him off of my list. But I see the justification for it. He's one of the best rebounders in the game. So when he is out there, he's definitely going to clean the glass well. 
Absolutely. And then for 95 through 91, I have Reggie Jackson, 95th, Danilo Gallinari, 94th, Kevin Love, 93rd, Yosef Nurkic, 92nd. And then at 91st, I have Aaron Gordon. What do you think about that group of five there, Kenneth? Couple missions once again from my list last week. Gallinari would have been off my list. Um, I do like him as a player. I just really question what his fit is with Atlanta this year, especially with Reddish coming back after an injury. Hunter missed some time as well. They drafted Jalen Johnson. Like it seems like there's just a lot of threes and fours in that locker room. So I'm not sure if Gallinari is going to make it through the year with this team or whether they're going to try and flip him at the deadline or what. But that would be why I would leave him off. I do like Kevin Love a lot. Once again, it's just a fit thing for me in Cleveland. I know that he can put up numbers. Clearly, the guy's a champion, former all-star and all that. But question what Cleveland's direction is, whether or not he's going to see the floor a lot. They did just pay Jared Allen. So that's big for Cleveland moving forward. And they also brought in uh, Evan Mobley as well. So kind of a crowded front court question where he's going to fit in there. Nurkic, I mean, this is a guy that we jokingly talk about it at off the ball network. Some guys are really low on Nurkic and love Plumley more, but I wouldn't quite go that far. Uh, I like Nurkic as a player. I just think he's maybe the fifth guy in Portland. And so that's why I would have him just off my list. Okay. That's fair enough. All right. So going from 90 to 86, 90th, I have miles bridges, 89th, Harrison Barnes, 88th, John wall, Evan Fournier, 87th, and then at 86, Norman Powell. Any any particular player you want to dive into there? I really like Miles Bridges. I mean, a lot of people point to him for all these dunks that you see that Bleacher Report puts out. Oh, man, Bridges just threw down another one. And it's he's more than a dunker, folks. Like, he is a very talented player on that Hornets roster. I think he's going to be a big piece of what they're doing moving forward. But once again, there's just been a lot of stuff surrounding other players there. Like I want to see how Lamella ball fits into it. They obviously drafted, I think it was boo Knight went there. Yeah. Book Knight um, went there for so, sure. So I think that there's just going to be a lot more focal points in that team. You've still got Rogier there as well. I know Graham obviously departed from there, but I just question what his role is going to be with the team. So all of these, like this is not a knock on these players. I mean, what people need to realize is like there's over 400 NBA players on rosters at some point throughout the year. So this is the top 100 of them. Like these guys would probably be my 125 through 101, but that's not what we're doing here. It's our top 100. So I just would have him just missing out on my list as well. Yeah, and that's fair. And that's a good point just to kind of reset the vibe here on the show is that just because you're not in the top 100 doesn't mean that you're not, you know, one of the better NBA players in the league. You know, we're only looking at, you know, less than a quarter of all NBA players. Each team, there's 30 teams, 15 players per. That's 450 players right there. That's not counting two ways or exhibit 10 contracts or G League players or, or what have you, you know. So the top 100 is a pretty, you know, exclusive club, even though you would look at the 100th player and the way that culture is now is like, Oh, you know, the 100th player, he's trash. Well, no, he's just not, you know, a top 10 player. And that's okay. There can only be 10 of those guys. And it's just the nature of mathematics at this point, right, Kenneth? So um, people being kind of critical of the guys who are still very good contributors to winning teams. They're just not guys that you want to put, you know, the ball in their hand or have high usage rates for. So, Kenneth, going from 85 to 81, at 85th, I have Bogdan Bogdanovich. 
84th, Victor Oladipo, 83rd, Tyrese Halliburton, 82nd, Draymond Green, and 81st, Joe Ingles. What do you think about that group of five? I really like the group. The The question mark for me is surrounding Victor Oladipo. He's had some injury issues the last number of years, so I didn't feel right putting him in my top 100 because I feel like this is very much a prove-it year for Victor Oladipo, and he's going to be in a great situation to do so with the way that the Miami Heat revamped their entire team in this offseason. So when it comes to Oladipo, once again, just missing out on my list, but it's more so like, I think next year he's going to be in my top 100, but prove it to me, prove it to me that you can play a role in this Miami Heat team where you're not necessarily going to be asked to be the main scorer. They've already got Lowry, they've got Butler, Bam can score as well. So you've got all these guys that can score. Can he find his role with the Heat and truly contribute? And Joe Ingles, he was probably 101 for me, truthfully, because I really like Ingles' game, even in that crowded room that he has in Utah. And I think he gets underappreciated. So I'm happy to see him on your list because he does deserve some love, given that he is one of the best guys at playing his role in the entire association. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. I love Joe Ingles' game. All right, so just we'll go through this last group of five so we can catch up and both be on the same page here, Kenneth. Rounding out 80th through 76th, I have at 80, DeAndre Hunter, 79th, Mikael Bridges, 78th, Jonas Valanciunas, 77th, Seth Curry, and then 76th, Tim Hardaway Jr. What do you think of that group there, Kenneth? There's a few there that I'm missing. Um, Curry, I mean, he had a great year in Philadelphia, and with the uncertainty around Ben Simmons and what he's going to be doing I don't think he'll be playing in Philadelphia, but until a trade happens, we have to assume that he's he's there. But Curry played a great role for that franchise, and mm-hmm. I really like his game, especially his ability to shoot the basketball. He's one of the very best in the league, but outside of that, he doesn't do a lot for me, so I tended to lean towards more complete players than shooters on my list. Once again, though, he'd be just outside. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, I just want to see with that room that we were just talking about with, with the Reddish and the Johnson and the Gallinari, can he truly ascend and become one of a big three in Atlanta that they're trying to build? Um, that spot currently being taken by John Collins, Clint Capella, and Trey Young. Can he snag one of those spots, or is it going to be one of these other guys there? And I really like Tim Hardaway Jr. I think he's going to play a little bit lesser of a role because they brought in Reggie Bullock in the offseason and a few other pieces. So he's still going to score the basketball. That's what he's great at. And that's why he's been in the league as long as he has, because he's just a bucket getter. But uh, another guy that just misses out for me. All fair and good. And it's just kind of what's your flavor at that point, right? So now we're getting a little bit into the upper echelon of the top 100. We're starting to get a, getting close to about halfway through that list. Kenneth, we're going to work our way up from our 75th best player all the way up to our 51st, and we can park, slow down a little bit, cruise, get into a little bit more discussion on these guys as we progress throughout the rest of the show. And again, you're listening to the Nothing But Net channel here on Dash Radio. Breaking the game is here. My co-host, Kenneth Cotterell, and myself, we're going through our top 100 players, going from players 75 through 51. So, Kenneth, why don't you walk us through your top you know, 75 through 51st player, and, and I'll give my take on these guys. Definitely. So Clay Thompson being at 75, everyone I think is going to think that I'm crazy for having him that low just because of what Clay was. But let's be honest, we haven't seen him play basketball in a couple of years now. So 
while I did say that other guys had to prove it, like Oladipo, who only missed some time last year, I'm giving Clay the benefit of the doubt because he's the multiple-time champion and the shooter that he is. So even if he loses a step when it comes to the athleticism side or the defensive side, his ability to shoot the basketball is always going to be there. He's got one of the purest strokes in the league. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt by putting him at 75 because I think even if he's coming back at 70 or 80% of what he was prior to the injuries, I still think that's a top 75 player in the NBA. I won't be shocked if he is even higher on my list next year, but for now I got to keep him at 75. 74 for me, it's Jordan Clarkson. I mean, sixth man of the year. We talked about bucket getters earlier. This guy is one of them, and he plays such a crucial role for Utah. I think what he truly does is he gives Connolly and Mitchell that much-needed break, and they really don't lose a lot when they go to the bench. Uh, because of his ability to just go and get 18 points like he did last year. So he's he's one of few bench players to be on my list. But, I mean, sixth man of the year, how can you not have him on this list? Just because he's a bench player doesn't mean he doesn't play a major role for a team. At 73, I've got Anthony Edwards. Early in his rookie season, I was beginning to think, wow, this guy, he's exactly what I thought he was in the draft. Inefficient scorer. He was shooting like 36%, I think, at one point on the year on a bad Minnesota team. And I was like, man, Minnesota really missed the mark. But then the second half of the year came and he finished the year at 41%, which, you know, you got to provide some context. That's why numbers don't always matter because, yeah, you see 41 and you're like, oh, he's not a good score. Well, the second half of the year, he was around that 45% mark, which is what you like to see out of your guards. So, Really impressed by Edwards and how he turned it around. He was a 19-4-3 guy. Showed that he can distribute a little bit, which I think a lot of people had question marks in the draft last year about whether he could. So that's why I have him there. At 72, I've got Tyrese Halliburton, another rookie heading into his second year. And I just think he's a do-it-all guy for a franchise that desperately needs it in Sacramento. You know, they've got Fox, their leader. They've got Heald, their shooter. But guys like Marvin Bagley just haven't panned out. And they went out in the draft. They got Tyrese Halliburton, a guy that was a 47% shooter as a rookie last year. Most of the year, he was even hovering around 50% shooting. So he showed that he can be a really efficient scorer. He can distribute. He can kind of do it all. He can play the one, two. I don't think the three is a little bit undersized for that. But the fact that you can play him at either guard spot is really helpful. And then at 71, it's Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, he was still 20 and nine last year. He was 47% shooter. So maybe, yep. maybe I'm being a little bit hard on having Kristaps this low on my list, but I just find that he really disappears in games as a number two option. And I know that it's tough in a Luca dominated offense because he's going to dribble, dribble, dribble. He's either going to shoot or he's going to try and find an open shooter. And Porzingis, yes, he can hit threes at seven, three, but that's not his biggest strength. And I think if he was in a better situation, I think he would be an even better player than he is. I'm just not sure if Dallas is the right fit. So I want to see if he's going to finish the year out in Dallas or whether they're going to go and try and find Luca a different number two option. But for now, I'll have Porzingis at 71. What do you make of the first five? Well, so I, I'm going to get into my group of 75 through through 71 here in a second. But the one guy I want to talk about is the guy you close out on. You know, if I didn't even mention the name and I said, 
Hey, Kenneth, how do you think, you know, how would you feel about having a player on your team that averaged 20 points, nine rebounds, two assists a game, shot almost 48% from the floor, 40 or 38% from deep, 86% from, <laughs> from the free throw line and was, you know, seven feet, seven feet tall and had a great jump shot. You'd probably be pretty stoked to have a guy on your team, right? But because it's Chris stops Porzingis, because he's pigeonholed into a role that I don't think is suited for him, you know, he's... He's not necessarily like a a, a ball dominant perimeter oriented, you know, big man, but he's also just not a, a, a guy to park in the corner at the top of the high arch of the three where they like to put him a lot and just say, just just cast away from here. That's not his role either. So I think even in a miscasted year, people are a little bit more critical on him than they should be. And it's because he's not the number one option. Typically the number one options get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. And the second option typically gets a little bit more of the blame. So, Kenneth, I'm going to go through my 75th through 71st player and love to get your take on these guys. So at 75, I have TJ Warren. Now, he's the guy kind of like Victor Aladipo, who we mentioned earlier. A little bit of the injury bug as of late, but I still think that he's a dynamic, capable kind of tweener, 3-4 player. Uh, you know, can can create a little bit on the offensive end. Is a capable defender as well. I think playing underneath Rick Carlisle in Indiana with a healthy season and have one of the more well-rounded rosters surrounding him, I think that he's going to shine a little bit. Rashawn Holmes, I think our network is of the consensus that he's criminally underrated amongst you know NBA discussions among top centers. Obviously, me having him at 74 isn't like me screaming that you know we need to command respect for Rashawn Holmes, but in a sense, it kind of is because I don't know how many of the casual NBA fans would even be able to point to what team Rashawn Holmes plays for and correctly identify his style of play. Jared Allen recently extended in Cleveland. I love his game a lot. I thought that Brooklyn, you know, when they made the trade for James Harden, I thought the team that really had the best deal that they didn't really give up much to get was Cleveland to get in Jared Allen. And he he's kind of showing that he has more to his game than just being a, uh, a lob thread or a rim protector. He can stress the floor a little bit. He's a great rebounder. And we're going to get to see what he looks like next to another big in Evan Mobley in Cleveland. And I can't wait to see what that lineup looks like. You mentioned Anthony Edwards at 73. I have him all the way at 72nd for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned. He kind of gets a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt because he's an electric, you know, perimeter-oriented player. And I think that that gives you a little bit more flavor in the eyes of many in the NBA. Uh, much like you, I wasn't high on him coming into the draft. I didn't think that he was going to be top five worthy. But ultimately, he still had a good rookie season. And just because he's not going to be the second coming of Carmelo Anthony doesn't mean that he's also not going to be a good player. I compared him a lot coming into the draft as Jason Richardson. Now, I know a lot of people know who he is. The ones that know who he is say, okay, you know, not a bad player, you know, kind of borderline all-star type guy and coming into the league. A lot of the same characteristics, you know, physically and on the court, but not really a guy that you look at as like, okay, you know, he was a still of the draft type player. So Anthony Edwards, I think that you should have a, you know, Jason Richardson poster up in your room. You should be modeling your game a little bit after him and probably more of a contemporary manner. And then 71st, Mike Connolly Jr., you know, he's kind of coming up there in age and still commanding close to $30 million a year. You know, playing next to Donovan Mitchell, his skill set uh, kind of perfectly balances them. You know, they have kind of a yin-yang backcourt with those two. And now they have his successor waiting in the wings. Can't wait to see what he looks like as a mentor on the floor. Kenneth, what do you think of that group? 
I really like the group that you have there. I think we have a similar mindset you have with TJ Warren that I do with Clay, which is that injuries obviously are a factor in where they're rated because when they're at 100%, they're probably a lot higher. But this is a prove-it situation for both of them. So I think we just kind of differed on who that player was. Holmes, I mean, I had him at 78. So I think we're in the same ballpark of he's just very underrated. And I think part of it is being in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. When everyone says Sacramento, they talk about Fox. They talk about Heald. They even talked about Halliburton last year in the Rookie of the Year discussion. And they forget about the year that Holmes actually had, which was really impressive. And and a piece that could be a major part of Sacramento getting back to winning basketball. So I like Holmes there. Jared Allen, I mean, I've been a big fan of this guy since he was in Brooklyn playing those playoff series, going at it with Joel Embiid. Like for such a young player to perform on a stage like that and now get to go to a situation where you're now more in the rebuild mode, I think he's just going to be a crucial part of that. And people were killing the fact that they paid him five years, a hundred million, but a lot of people can't name like anything about Jared Allen, like like what his <laughs> skill set is or anything about him. And it's like, watch, just watch him. Like at, if nothing else, he's someone that's really going to help Evan Mobley become a better basketball player mm-hmm. because his strengths are Mobley's weaknesses right now. So that's why I liked Mobley getting drafted there because at least you have, he's not even an old veteran. Like let's not forget Jared Allen is young himself. He's like 23, I think. So It's not like he's a super old player, but he's been around the league already. He's bounced around a little bit. So that's why I like your Allen pick there. Edwards, yeah, I I see the Jason Richardson comparisons a little bit less athletic, but also like the the borderline all-star thing is there. And if you have a borderline all-star that you drafted where you did, like that's not necessarily a bad thing. He gets killed because of where he got picked, but it's more so the team situation as to why he got picked there. Like mm-hmm. there was no need for them to go and get LaMelo ball at the time because you had Russell there and you assumed that he was the point guard and you had no need for Wiseman. Cause you got Carl Anthony towns, like, like where are the minutes for him at that point? So I think it was unfair for Anthony Edwards. He got a lot of flack because of where he got picked, but it was more so team need than anything else. And he impressed and Mike Connolly, I'm a bit higher on than you are. I think he really is that steady force for a Utah team that they need because, you know, you got their defensive anchor at Ingo Bear. You've got your your franchise guy in Donovan Mitchell, but he's just a veteran point guard that's been around a long time. He's always been productive. He does all the little things that you need him to. So he's not even on my list tonight. He'll be on the next list that we talk about. So I guess I am a lot higher on Mike Connolly than you are, not a little bit, but I understand why he's there, especially that the age argument definitely has to be something that has to be pointed out. Yeah, for sure. So why don't you go ahead and walk us through your 70th through 66th player? So I've got an, the other Bogdanovich now. Um, they've, they're both just so impressive in the fact that they're playing such great wing roles for, for winning franchises is what impresses me the most. I mean, Bogdanovich last year, he's a 16-3-3 and guy. But he shoots 47%, which is really good for a wing player. And I think he just found his role last year with that Atlanta Hawks team. Now, this comes back to the previous argument of, okay, how is he going to fit in with these up-and-coming guys that we're assuming they're going to have to pay down the road? What is his true role with Atlanta? 
But I think at least for this year, if nothing else, he's just a knockdown shooter on the wing. And Trey Young has proven that he's one of the best distributing point guards in the league. So if you need a guy to do that, provide a little bit of rebounding and also be able to swing it to the corner, I think Bogdanovich is your guy. Jared Allen, we already talked about him. I mean, he's at 69 for me. Um, I just think he's really underrated. And I'm glad that you have him at 73 because I think then we're on the same page about how good he really is and how good he could be for Cleveland moving forward. Gary Trent Jr. at 68. I mean, he didn't shoot the ball well when he got to Toronto, but it is tough to be brought in at the deadline. You're on that Toronto team that didn't really get, they didn't get to play at home last year. You know, there's a lot of COVID issues there and and just trying to fit into that Nick Nurse system that they have. So I expect him to bounce back. They obviously paid him this offseason, so he better bounce back. Otherwise, mm-hmm. Toronto could be in a little bit of trouble. I think he's three years, 54. So he's going to slot in, I think, into the starting lineup. I think it's going to be him and Van Vliet running the point and shooting guard spots. You've got OG Ananobi, you've got Boucher, you've got Siakam. All the pieces are there. He just needs to step up and be one of those contributing scorers for them, and I think he'll he'll play well in Toronto. Karis Levert, I mean, 25-5 and five last year, 44% shooting. It was in limited action, though. Like, let's not forget that, obviously, the trade involving James Harden happened, and then he had some health concerns, which shout out to Karis Levert for getting healthy and the fact that he's going to be back this year. Like, he deserves flowers for for beating the illness that he had. And it's just, it's great to see him back in the league, contributing to an Indiana team that really needs him. Indiana desperately needs another guy outside of DeMontis Sabonis. I really like Malcolm Brogdon, but they need another guy if they're going to make a playoff push this year. And, you know, new coach coming in, we'll we'll see what his role is going to be with them. And then Lonzo Ball, I mean, he was one of the toughest guys for me to place, like, He's a 14, five and five guy last year. He kind of does everything for you. He was 41% shooting, which I was a little bit concerned about, but the shot is better. I mean, the big question mark, no one ever questioned whether Lonzo Ball could distribute, whether he could defend, whether he could rebound. It was always, all right, the shooting form, is it going to get better? And it is getting better. I want to see what his role is going to be in the Chicago Bulls offense because As of right now, he's their fourth option. You've got DeMar DeRozan, who's another distributor, but mainly a scorer. Zach Levine's a walking bucket. Vucevic gets it done on the scoring end. But they're going to need him to lead defensively this year. Chicago's going to make a playoff push in the East. So I think he'll play a major part in that, which is why I have him at 66. What do you make of my first five, 70 through 66? Well, you had a lot of stones to put a guy that I had to leave out begrudgingly because... I just didn't see Gary Trent Jr. I know I mentioned on our last show that I would put him in, but as I was looking through my list, I think he's in that neighborhood that you were talking about earlier, Kenneth, where he just lives in that you know 101 to 125 range. And it was really hard for me to put him in because he shoots really well, but I don't think that of the shooters that I had in the bottom of my top 100 that he really beats out just the guys who are really good at shooting like a Seth Curry. So I kind of had to begrudgingly leave him out, but I, I love the fact that you have him because I personally like him a lot as a player. You know, you mentioned Karis LeVert, the fact that he's kind of overcoming odds. I think he's on a team that really kind of suits his strengths a little bit because he has creation ability, but he's not necessarily a primary creator. So I think that that's good. Uh, Lonzo Ball, I have him on my list. We'll talk about him. I have him a little bit higher than you, but 
it is one of those situations where you think, okay, maybe he's he left L.A., he played in New Orleans, he kind of came into his own a little bit more as a more well-rounded player, developed his outside shot a little bit more, and I think that that helped him out. Um, Bogdanovich, I mentioned him on my previous count, my 76 through 100 players. It, it's just, to be perfectly honest with you, Kenneth, it's, it's really hard to peg where these Atlanta Hawks players fall within the top 100 because they have so many guys that are pretty close to each other and they each have like different skill sets so it's like which one do you value more type thing you know and then jared allen i I mentioned him earlier so it's you know can't talk to him talk glowingly enough about him and i just think playing in cleveland is going to hide him a little bit kind of like how we said with the rashawn holmes but i think he has a little bit more of a dynamic of a game if that makes sense definitely does i mean I think what Allen's biggest strength is, is on the defensive side. I think he can be a defensive anchor for them, given his shot blocking ability and his rebounding. So I think that's going to be his biggest role that Cleveland needs because they've been one of the worst defensive teams for a number of years now. Yeah, no doubt about it. So we'll go into my next group of players, 70th through 66. And I'm really curious to get your assessment of this group of five. So at 70, I have Andrew Wiggins at 69, RJ Barrett at 68. D'Angelo Russell at 67th, Buddy Hield, and at 66th, Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, Dinwiddie is coming off of an injury season, but to me, he reminds me so much of like a a, a Malcolm Brogdon type dude. He plays really mature. He doesn't force a lot of, of, of poor of poor play. He makes the guys around him. He makes their life a little bit better in very subtle ways. You know, it doesn't really pop unless you're looking for it. Um, Buddy Hield, very good shooter. We don't know how he's going to play in Sacramento if he continues to play at all this season. Maybe he gets moved. D'Angelo Russell, he's kind of like a Kristaps Porzingis version of a guard. You know, it's like he gets knocked down so much. But if you go back and look at his numbers, he's really not as bad as what his reputation as far as mainstream media would tell you. Right. Um, RJ Barrett. I love him. You know, I'm sure this is going to make a lot of people on our on our network happy having a New York Nick within the top 100 here. But R.J. Barrett, I think he's coming into his own. He's developing as kind of like a DeMar DeRozan-esque type player, which is why I'm so glad that the Knicks didn't get him because more overlapping position. Now, not to say that the Knicks would not have done well to get him. It's just you don't want to have mirroring skill sets. You know, you kind of want to build your roster to be a little bit more well-rounded. And then Andrew Wiggins, another one of these guys that were like, he's developed a poor reputation as far as big media goes. But if you look at his season in Golden State last year, I think that he actually had a, you know, one of his better seasons as a professional. What do you think, Kenneth? So I'll, I'll highlight more so the the two guys that I don't have on my list because I do have D'Angelo, RJ, and Andrew a little bit later on, so we can touch a bit more into why I like their game a lot. Buddy Heald, like I think your thought process on Buddy Heald is my thought process on Gary Trent. But I think Gary Trent is more secure in his spot. And I'm I'm just curious what Sacramento wants to do with Heald because we heard in the offseason they were talking about Heald potentially going to L.A., but then L.A. gets Westbrook and then suddenly that blows up. But we've heard Buddy Heald rumors for a couple years now. They, they've been throwing his name out there. And so I don't know if he's going to make it through the season in Sacramento. And I also question, well, with Halliburton going into year two, is he – going to eventually replace buddy healed in the starting lineup is he going to just be the six man or is buddy healed going to become the six man and just be kind of like a, a bucket like jordan clarkson is so 
I have my concerns about healed there. I like Dinwiddie a lot, but this this is just an injury thing for me. It's a significant injury that he's coming off of. He's going to a situation in Washington, though, where there's going to be plenty of opportunities. Outside of Bradley Beal, all of those players, whether it's Kyle Kuzma, Spencer Dinwiddie, KCP, guys that were already there in Bertons and Hachimura, they're going to be fighting for minutes on a team that has potential to get into the play-in game because you have that Bradley Beal-type talent there. So I think, I mean, if Dinwiddie lives up to the 66 ranking that you gave him, I think we could see Washington get to that 10 spot. There's just so many guys there that I just, I want to wait and see because this is this is going to be essentially a whole new group playing together with all the trades that happened with Washington. Yeah, and I think with that new group of players, what you're going to look for a, a rookie head coach to do is trust your guard, right? Because typically what you see in the NBA is that guards are extensions of the head coach out there and a good buddy of the show and of the network, Kieran Pruitt, writes in and says, Trent Jr. is underrated defender too, though. I don't know if, I mean, the fact that we don't talk about him at all as a defender, maybe he is, but I don't look at him necessarily as a as a plus defender, maybe along that average uh, skill set, yeah. but maybe you're right, Kieran. Maybe him being labeled as a, just a shooter is a little unfair, but that's definitely, uh, you know, his profile and his best skill set as a player. So, Kenneth, why don't we go ahead and dive into your 65 through 61? Yeah, so this is a list of a couple guys that really have to prove it this year um, because I think they, they might be on borrowed time um, with this franchise. Um, but at 65, I mean, Mikhail Bridge is such an underrated year that he had. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a 13-4-2 guy, but he shoots 54% from the field. So what I like about him is that in that Suns offense where you've got Booker, you've got Paul, you've got Aiton, he just picks his spots. And I think that's pretty rare in the NBA to like really know your role with the team and not overextend yourself because there's very few times where I was like, man, what is Bridges doing? Like he's just a really smart basketball player. He makes all the right plays that you need. And I think I might be a little bit biased here because I'm such a fan of his just personally that I'm putting him at 65, but I think he could live up to that given he is so young in that Phoenix system. 64, it's a guy that you talked about earlier, DeJounte Murray. Um, The numbers speak for themselves, 15, 7, and 5. And he's going to need to do that for the Spurs this year because with DeRozan departing, he's going to play a major role in that franchise and he's going to be their go-to guy the majority of the season. So I have him at 64 because I think he's, he's going to put up stats on a team that may not win a lot of games, but I think that he's also going to help make his teammates better. As you can see from his assist numbers, Kemba Walker at 63, uh, you'll be touching on him in a little bit here, but uh, Kemba is in an interesting situation in New York because they, they didn't pay him a lot, but the upside is there for him to, cash in once again in his career um he's going to be basically handed the keys for the knicks to run their offense um i don't see a situation where he's not starting and if he's not then he's a six man of the year candidate um but i really like kemba's game he's just he's got knee problems and that's a concern and so uh if he's healthy he's a top 50 player but the best ability is availability so we need to see 
when it comes to him this year. Andrew Wiggins, I mean, he played really well in Golden State last year. There was so much surrounding Steph being an MVP candidate that people forget that Wiggins was an 18-4-2 guy on 47% shooting. And people always used to talk about, well, he's inefficient, he's inefficient, upping it to 47%. He really improved in that department. He was starting to play some winning basketball with Golden State towards the end of the year there. So I like Wiggins, but now it comes back to, well, Clay is going to be entered back into the lineup. They just went and drafted Moody. They drafted, uh, slip in my mind, but they drafted somebody else as well. Kuminga. Oh, yes, they did. They, yeah, Kuminga. They drafted, you know, Kuminga. So bringing in those two guys, that's going to be, that's going to be tough because they're going to want to get these young guys to improve, but at what expense? Whose minutes is that going to be at an expense of? Clay will be on a minutes restriction to start, but only for a certain period of time. And then RJ Barrett at 61, he was just, he had a great year with the Knicks. And I think a lot of people clown him for the postseason that he had, but a 17, five and three year for a guy that was what his second year. Like he's, he's coming into though. Okay. We have Randall. Now is RJ going to be a big three piece for us moving forward? Cause they're going to be eyeing up free agency next year. And can he be that guy for them? So what do you make of my five? Yeah, I love your five. Mikael Bridges is the guy that made my previously mentioned list. You're a little bit higher on him than me. The same thing with DeJounte Murray. I think it's just where do we value these young guys in a kind of a more mature system. But your point about DeJounte Murray is is well taken because that the team's going to be opened up a little bit more for him to take a bigger look. It's just hard because he's also, I feel like, had that kind of that same opportunity at the guard position before and it's just i don't know is he's kind of one of my guys that how you mentioned previously is like you kind of have to prove it to me a little bit and he was a late first round draft pick so it's not like he's disappointed so far in his career it just might be where i see him right now kimba walker like you said i'm going to talk about him a little bit more in in a little bit but i i like him a lot i love the contract that he was on there's really low risk, high reward, you know, playing alongside Derrick Rose, I think is going to be helpful for him too. a guy who suffered his own fair share of injuries and, and has retooled himself as a kind of a role player. Maybe he gets a little pro tip from a guy like Derrick Rose. Uh, Andrew Wiggins just got done talking about him earlier, highly slept on season and the same for RJ Barrett, man. So um, a lot of similarities within my previously mentioned range and this current mention of range. So this is where we're kind of seeing eye to eye, Kenneth. And I, I think that that's pretty cool, man. I, I love that aspect that, you know, sometimes we could be different, but hey, there's nothing wrong with being the same every once in a while. Yeah, definitely. And I think we didn't show each other each other's lists ahead of time. This is strictly what, what we thought. And then we sent them in and now we're talking about it. So the fact that we are that close, I think it is really, really impressive. So what would be your next five that you have then for your players? We'll, we'll kind of rip through these last number of players. Yeah. And I'm kind of experiencing a little bit of technical difficulties here. So I'm going to have to suspend the graphics. If you're with me still, Kenneth, I'm going to have to suspend the graphics and uh, I'm going to call up my manual list that I have here. Hopefully you can, you can do the same. I'm sorry. I'm, Really no, not good. trying to. <laughs> try. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so 65 through what 60 here. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. I have 65th. 
A little bit of a down year. I know that a lot of people might be curious as to why I have him so high. Uh, I just think that last season was a little bit more of an aberration compared to what we're going to see. We've seen him play well before. He's one of these guys that has a little Carl Anthony Towns in his game where he can stretch the floor. A lot of his possessions are going to come from beyond the arc. So I really like him. I think that having a healthy season, the rumors that we're seeing, you know, a Dylan Brooks might be being shopped around. So maybe they're expecting a, a fully healthy Jaron Jackson Jr. this season in Memphis. And that spells trouble for a lot of their the, their opposition here. Um, at 64, I have uh, Miles Turner, kind of the same thing. Uh, he's a perimeter-oriented big, can lead the NBA in blocks. We've seen that before. I think because he plays next to Sabonis, you're not really getting to see his full display uh, of talent, but I think that it's there. I think that you know his combination of perimeter play, uh, blocking shots, I don't think that we get to see him rebound as frequently as what a lot of people would probably like because he boxes out to allow a guy like DeMontis Sabonis to come down with the board. And sometimes it's just pe- people don't realize this, but teams, you know, they scheme their rebounding system for certain people to get the ball in their hand so other people can get down the court a little bit quicker. All right. So moving on from there, Joe Harris, I have him 63rd. Uh, I think that what he brings to the Brooklyn Nets is highly undervalued. Yes, he shoots and he shoots the lights out. If you look at his numbers, that bears out. But um, overall, I think that he has a little bit more creation in his game. We got to see that a little bit in the playoffs. Uh, and I think that Brooklyn is going to take advantage of that throughout the regular season, as we know some of these guys get uh, time off. You mentioned uh, Jordan Clarkson. You know, in a couple of your analysis, I really love his game. He's a bucket. But it's going to be interesting to see if he shares the floor with Jared Butler coming off the bench as a rookie and what that dynamic looks like because Utah has a really good stable of uh, young uh, you know, backcourt players along with their, you know, mature guys as well. And then rounding out this group of five, I have Kimba Walker. And again, you know, maybe he learns how to play a little bit more underneath the Derrick Rose and a little bit of tutelage on how to re- reshape his game as an aging, uh, you know, sometimes injury prone player. What do you think about that group, Kenneth? Yeah, when Jaron Jackson Jr. is healthy, he he's a really talented player for Memphis, and he should be given where he got drafted by them. I just want to see him play a full season finally, and I I hope that it's this year. I think that would go a long way in Memphis finally getting over that playoff hurdle of not being in that 8-9 game. They could maybe sneak up to 6-7, even potentially 5, depending on how Jaw plays as well and some of the guys that we were mentioning last year last week like Dylan Brooks and and Anderson so I really like him there and I just I agree wholeheartedly with your list I I really do like Turner and I think the numbers don't reflect it as you said because the rebounding schemes are set up for Sabonis to average 12 rebounds a game because Sabonis you want the ball in his hands so he can push the fast break he's just better at it than Turner is and you would rather Turner gets down the court for lobs or even run to the corner to hit the three. I just think overall Indiana's just set up a bit more for Sabonis, and it doesn't reflect as well on Turner. So I really liked your list there. Well, I appreciate that, Kenneth. So let's get into your next group of five. We're going through. We're going from sixty to fifty-six. So at sixty is Miles Turner. We were just talking about him. Twelve, six, and one sounds like the least impressive stat line that I've said tonight, but defensively he's just he's an anchor like when you're averaging three blocks a game you're an anchor down there and and it's 
it may not reflect necessarily block some nights like you'll see like oh he only had one block but he'll alter so many shots like if you're going against a trey young who's putting up floaters he can alter those with his ability and i think that's really going to help them when i look at 59 marcus smart i just feel like he's so underappreciated for everything that he does for the celtics whether it's take the charge that you need the rebound that you need the key three he kicks it to the corner to hit that open shot I just think Marcus Smart, the role that he plays in Boston especially, is why I have him at 59. I don't know if he would even be that high on my list if he's in another system that doesn't have the faith that Boston does in him. So that's why I have Smart at 59. I said that <laughs> Turner might have had the most unimpressive stat line, and then we get to Draymond Green. Uh-uh. Ah, it's <laughs> 7, 9, and 7. You're like, okay, really? But Draymond, he's just... He's the Turner for Golden State, and he does it better than Turner does because he's just – that defense does not work in Golden State if you don't have Draymond Green there. And I think the role that he plays, especially in the passing, and, and he pushes the ball with his rebounding and getting out in transition, just because he can't shoot the basketball doesn't mean that he doesn't have value. And I want to value defense and winning and all of that, that, that Draymond brings to the table. So that's why he's at 58. Valanchunas, he was so tough for me to place here. He's a tough one to, he's a tough one to place because he's got metrics that suggest that he's much higher than where other people have him. Like he's 17 and 12 shooting 59% from the floor. And I have him at 57. But when I look at even the, the six guys ahead of him, I would just rather have him on my team moving forward into this season because I think of of just the way the game is played now. Valanchunas, don't get me wrong. I live up here in Canada. Jonas Valanchunas, he he could run for prime minister one day and he would probably <laughs> get a few votes. That's how much they love him up here. So uh, Valanchunas at 57. And then Gordon Hayward at 56. I said the best ability is availability. And Gordon Hayward, when he was available the first half of the year, was an Eastern Conference all-star for me. He was on my ballot until he got hurt. But I think he's going to play such an important role in the Hornets making the playoffs this year. I mean, you look at his numbers, 19, 6, and 4, 47%. He's just a guy that anywhere he's gone and, and played at a healthy level, he's been important for a team. So what do you make of my five there? I'm just going to hone in on one guy, and then we'll move on to my next segment of players. I didn't have Marcus Smart on here, and that really hurts my heart because – I have him as a, you know, an award that I put up on, you know, off the ball network, go to off the ball network.com for all your sports needs. I had him as a glue guy of the year in my first year writing for off the ball network. And I love him so much. It's just, it's, it's hard because, you know, he doesn't start. He doesn't feature as a prominent player on that team. I mean, if you look at his order of importance, is it third? Is it fourth? It really just depends on the lineup and who's on the roster for that particular year. But it, I, I'm not mad at you for having him 59th. I love the fact that you have him on your list in general and at 59th. I think that's awesome. You know, I think we've highlighted um, most of these guys that you have on your list, exception of Gordon Hayward. How about we get into my next group of players and I could talk about them? So at 60th, I have Terry Rozier, his teammate. And then at 59, I have Gordon Hayward. At 58, your aforementioned Lonzo Ball. At 57, Clint Capella. And then at 56, I have Christian Wood. So Terry Rozier, highly underrated guard. I think that whenever he was acquired in that Kimball Walker deal from Boston, that a lot of people didn't realize that 
maybe Charlotte won that deal because Kimball Walker is now a, a New York Nick playing against his former Boston team. And he's missed substantial amount of time, albeit he's still a really good player. But Terry Rozier quietly has become one of the more underrated, you know, guards in the NBA. Um, Gordon Hayward, you just mentioned a lot of the same things I like about him. One of the things that I really enjoy is his positional versatility because he's a guy that can give you minutes two, three, four. Uh, I don't know if you can play him small ball five due to his injury history, but he we've seen smaller, frailer guys play at that position. So wouldn't be surprised if you can get spot minutes from him there, but I don't think that the Hornets are going to do that. Lonzo Ball mentioned him. He's going to be in a position to where he can, you know, potentially uh, he he could potentially improve his stock. But I think because he has developed into such a talented three point shooter, he can for sure um, expand his role. It's just going to be interesting to see how much does he have the ball in his hands with Zach Levine and Demar Derozan, who. Both have shown that they need to be a little bit more ball dominant to be at their best. Clint Capella, criminally underrated player. I feel like this is the the theme of breaking the game of our top 100. Kenneth is that people sleep on the importance of centers in the NBA, and there's some really um, undervalued giants that do so much. And Clint Capella, we talk about you know your Cam Reddishes, your DeAndre Hunters, and what have you. Clint Capella. This Atlanta Hawks team would not be as talented as it is without Clint Capella anchoring that defense. Vitally important. And then Christian Wood, my guy for most improved player of the year up until he got hurt. I think in Houston, he expanded his game so much, you know, beyond the arch, you know, inside the paint, a little bit of playmaking ability, but his defense is there and so is his rebounding. So, Kenneth, what do you think of that group? So I'm going to key in on one player as well, and then I'll wrap up with my uh, last five there and that's Terry Rogier. and he's just he's a guy that I'm I really like Terry Rogier a lot but how long does he have in Charlotte before they go to this young backcourt because LaMelo Ball is the rookie of the year you just went out and drafted Boo Knight he's kind of the third guy and I think this year he'll be the second guy but if Boo Knight turns out to be what we think he is then Terry Rozier, I, I'm not sure if he's going to be starting by the end of the year, especially if the Hornets start to fade a bit because they're hovering around that. They could finish ninth or eighth, but they could also finish 12th or 13th. So that that was my only reservation with Rozier is that I, I don't know how much longer he's going to be a vital role for, for Charlotte. Um, we talked about Hayward, Lonzo, love Lonzo a lot. Um, and then Capella and Wood, they're they're making an appearance next week for me mm. because you talked about the role of the center position in the NBA and how it really is just underappreciated as a whole. And I think I, I think I rewarded that by putting them on the next list, especially when we talk about my next five here. Looking at those guys, I think I've really valued what they bring to the table, Capella being the defensive anchor, but also I think he led the league in rebounding or he was top three, like he was up there. Christian Wood prior to having some injury concerns. We were talking about him for most improved player in Houston. He could be a vital role in their rebuild. So I really like those two players and I'm even a little bit higher on them than you are. So I'm glad to see that you have them even at 57 and 56 because of what they bring to the table. Yeah, and I appreciate the 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 kind feedback that you just gave me because hey, if one thing that we're learning on breaking the game now that we're co-hosting this together is that the big man is still vitally important and will 
champion those those giants of the NBA. So, Kenneth, what we're going to do now is what we typically do when the show runs a little bit longer. Uh, for those listening, thank you so much for listening to this here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. We're going to continue our discussion because here on Off the Ball Mondays, you have so much basketball content that you got to listen to. Next up, you're going to listen to Mo Murphy on the Up and Flame show. Following him, you're going to listen to Chris LeBron, our president of the Off the Ball Network with the Off the Ball Pod. And then later this evening at 8 p.m., you get to listen to the Hoopers basketball show here on Off the Ball Network Mondays here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. But if you want to listen to Kenneth's last group of 60 through 56, or excuse me, 55 through 51, and then my last grouping of 55 through 51, you're going to have to go and follow us on our podcast. That's Breaking the Game. Anywhere podcasts are available, you'll see these cool little headphones and a basketball hoop that'll let you know you're in the right place before we close out. I just want to remind our lovely listeners and viewers that this show is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, enter in promo code off the ball, and they will hook you up, man. I'm talking 50% of your first deposit and up to $1,000 cash. Kenneth, if they're following your golf tournament, I know you had a down week, but I mean, my goodness, dude, what were you at? Like 20 straight weeks of winning. It was a, it was one of the greatest feats and just, you know, consecutive wins for bettings I've ever seen. All they got to do, man, is go to offtheballnetwork.com for all their sports needs. Look up any article that you or a buddy Pat with the, with the Say It Out Loud show um, post up about betting, enter in promo code off the ball and they can win big, man. What do you think about my bookie? Oh, I love my bookie. I've been using it for for all the articles that I've been doing. All the odds that we put out there come from my bookie as well. We're not going to FanDuel or DraftKings or anything like that. You got to head over to my bookie, enter the promo code off the ball in all caps. And I mean, it was nine straight weeks, but it sure felt like I was the Undertaker at WrestleMania for a while there. <laughs> I was just I was on a tear, and then unfortunately, I I took a I took an F five from uh <laughs> from uh from the old Brock Lesnar. So yeah, definitely. Well, Hey, now next thing, you know, you got AJ styles this upcoming week and you're going to get sent off into the sunset, like a true red wrestling legend. All right. So uh, enough of the wrestling analogies here on the break in the game. show. um, just want to thank you all so much for tuning in. If you want to follow us uh, as a show, you can look us up anywhere, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at BTG NBA pod. You can look up myself at Stephen G Hoops. You can look up Kenneth at Shooters underscore pod. And again, just keep looking us up. Follow Off the Ball Network on all social media pages. That's OTB underscore network for Twitter. And then anywhere else at Off the Ball Network. So, Kenneth, we're going to close out. Just want to thank everyone so much for tuning in. This has been the Break in the Game Show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Come follow us on our podcast because right after I get done talking, we're going to continue the show for the podcast, so don't you go anywhere. And stay tuned if you're listening on the radio show for Off the Ball Mondays. We'll talk to you all next time. Much love, everybody. So, yeah, at 55. Nope, we're good. We're going live. We're going. People are at watching fi- and listening. At 55 is John Collins, the guy that just got paid. And we were talking at Off the Ball Network about, well, is – is Collins even going to last in Atlanta? Like, are they going to bring him back? And they decided that they were going to on a pretty favorable contract for what he can potentially bring to the table for a playoff team there. But 17-7-1 last year, 55% shooting, incredibly efficient, 
And I just think he plays a great role for what Atlanta needs. I mean, we were talking about the threes and fours that are there that are fighting for minutes. Well, they are stuck behind John Collins still. So I, I have him at 55 because of that. I just think that he he's a guy where if Atlanta's a top three seed, you could be looking at him being a potential all-star. You mentioned Clint Capella in your previous list there. You could be thinking about him as a potential first-time all-star as well. So that's why I've got John Collins at 55. I got D'Angelo Russell a bit higher than you did. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that he was hurt last year. He still put up 19-5-2. and two. 41% shooting. He was he was right around the same range as Edwards was, but 38% from downtown. He is one of the true knockdown three-point shooters from the point guard position. He's going to play a vital role in whether or not Minnesota can finally figure this situation out. You've got Carl Anthony Towns, who every year we talk about being a top 15, 20 player in the association. Well, at some point you have to start winning basketball games. And Russell's going to be a big part of that if you're going to even get into the play-in game because we haven't even had Minnesota sniffing the play-in game since Jimmy Butler left. But at 53, Michael Porter Jr., he just had a great year last year for Denver. Um, What derailed them ultimately was Jamal Murray getting hurt. But when Michael Porter Jr. was out there, we're talking about a wing player at 19-7 and shooting 54% from the field. So he's not overextending himself. He did a little bit at times when Murray was out, but when Murray is there, I mean, he is, he's just something special to watch his size, his ability to create his own shot. It's really impressive to watch. So I've got Michael Porter Jr. at 53, especially since with Murray missing time, he's going to have to play a vital role as the number two in Denver there at 52. I've got the rookie of the year from last year, LaMelo ball. (laughs) I, if I was wrong about Anthony Edwards, I was dead wrong about LaMelo Ball last year. <laughs> I thought it had Buster written all over it. I thought he's too he's too flashy, he's too this, he's too that. He completely shut me up, and I'm a LaMelo Ball fan now. Just based off of even his rookie season, you look at 15-6-6, six, six, 43% shooting. The concern was maturity and can he shoot the basketball because, yeah, we saw him score 92 points in a high school game, but can he consistently shoot three ball in the NBA? Well, he's 35% as a rookie. And there was a lot of times where he wasn't hitting standstill threes. It was a lot of creating off the dribble, off the pick and roll. He's stepping out and hitting three. I'm just impressed with his game. Uh, The way that he distributes the basketball, especially. I mean, he made Hornets must-watch basketball last year. And it's exciting to see for a small franchise to have a budding superstar in Charlotte. And we weren't sure if that was going to happen for a long time after Kemba left. And people have almost already forgotten his first name after seeing LaMelo ball that first year. And then at 51, Jeremy Grant. I mean, I just, I could not have imagined that that was even possible. What Jeremy Grant did last year. I mean, we saw what he was in Denver and then he goes to Detroit and 22, four and three. Now people will say empty stats on a bad team. I I believe if, if you're a Hooper, like, like he is, I mean, even on a good team, you give him an opportunity and he's a 17 point per game guy. And there's only a handful of those in the NBA. So Jeremy Grant for me, 
he was my most improved player up until the injury as well. And that kind of derailed his chances. But Jeremy Grant at 51, what do you make of it? Well, I'm going to be talking about him more here in a little bit, but love him that you have him where where you do. Uh, a lot of these guys, man, I'm either going to be talking about them at a later date or it's going to be shared at a later date. Uh, or I've already discussed them. You know, I love John Collins. I think that he's highly valuable. I did not see Atlanta just letting him go for nothing. That would not have made sense at all. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, you value him a little bit higher than me, which is kind of apropos for what I spoke to him earlier when I gave that that analysis is that he's kind of that Kristaps Porzingis at the guard position where a lot of people want so much more out of him, but what he's giving you isn't bad. You know what I mean? So that's there. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., like I said, he'll he'll be on future discussions for me, as as will LaMelo Ball. Uh, but let me roll into Jeremy Grant here. I have him at 55, and he's he was the guy. I said Christian Wood earlier was my guy for most improved player. I misspoke. He was one of my guys. He was in that top three, but Jeremy Grant was the guy. On offtheballnetwork.com, I posted an article called Taken for Granted, and that was when I started hearing that you know, a, a Julius Randle was going to win most improved player. Not that he wasn't quote unquote deserving. It was just that I think that we've seen what Julius did in New York, in New Orleans. It's just that he played in a different market to where he could fully display that stuff. Whereas Jeremy Grant at most, at best, at any team he was ever on was maybe the fourth option, depending on the lineup that he was in, showing that he could give you valuable minutes as a number one and doing it in a somewhat efficient manner. And then also being a terrific defender on the other side of the ball, highly underrated, highly undervalued. I still would have loved to have seen him win that award because we've seen people win awards not playing the full season, right? So uh, I'm a little salty on it. I, I talk about it on a number of shows that I'm on. So, I, I mean, it wouldn't be me if I wasn't going to look for an opportunity to mention Jeremy Grant should have been most improved player. But anyway... Um, at 54, you mentioned Karis LeVert. I echo a lot of the same sentiments. I mean, when you look at how he played when he went to Indiana before the injury was that, you know, he's, he's a 20 point per game guy on a team that has a number of players that could be 20 point per game players. At, at some point you kind of have, you feel like some, a couple of these guys are going to be packaged together for maybe a bigger name or what, what they're going to be shipped off for more role players, because I think that, you have a lot of like tier three, tier four players in Indiana, and maybe that depth helps you out in a lot in the regular season, but in the playoffs might be a different story. But I think Karis LeVert is the keeper. I mean, getting him from Brooklyn the way that Indiana did, I think was really good value. OG Ananobi at 53. I don't know how you feel about me having him where I do. This might buy this might be the most biased positioning on my board, I think, so far, because I love OG. I love his defense. I love two-way ability in a player. It's almost as if now, Kenneth, where if you shot the same percentage as OG but did not play defense, you would be more popular as opposed to a guy who shoots the the three the way he does and can play defense. It's weird how the more well-rounded you are, the less liked you are amongst you know mainstream NBA media. But I don't think that OG uh, should be undervalued. I think that he has the potential to be at to be their second option at worst their third option and i think that he's going to be one of these guys that we see similar i'm not going to say that he's going to have the same career um as these players but similar development where they come in as defenders and continue to grow as offensive players as your Kawhi leonard's and your jimmy butler's 
I think that's where OG Ananobi kind of sure jacks as a player. Uh, his teammate, Fred Van Vliet, at 52nd. I love his, obviously, the defense at his such small position. I, I love that aspect about him, but let's also not forget that he's a really good three-point shooter as well. And then rounding out the lower half of the top 50 players, at 51, I have Tobias Harris. Could a nitpick between him and the guy that would be discussed next week at 50 for me, but I just think as a third option, that kind of hurts him a little bit. Maybe he gets bumped up in his role and responsibility in Philly next year. But overall, Tobias Harris has steadily just been this guy that's like the he is the consummate demi star that I labeled out in my player tiers where he's never really going to be a, a really good second option. But if he's your third option, you, you stand a really good chance of winning a lot of meaningful basketball games. What do you think about my 55 through 51, Kenneth? I mean, obviously, we're, we're very similar on Grant. Um, you're a bit higher on Levert. But as you said, 20-point-per-game guy. Like, you can see it there. And I think every opportunity Karras has ever had, he's ran with it. And Indiana appears to be a situation where he's going to be able to do that. OG, I had him 76 last week. Got a couple DMs from especially Raptors fans that couldn't believe that I had him that low. I think what happens is we we write off players so early now. Mm -hmm. And when you look at Toronto, even over the last number of years, you had the Kawhi title year and then Kawhi leaves. And then you've you've just got so many guys there that OG almost got lost in the shuffle because everything was about Lowry and Van Vliet and Siakam and even like Norman Powell and Ibaka. And it, I think it's just because OG is a, a mild-mannered guy, much like Kawhi was. You pointed to the comparison there, and I can completely see that if he continues to defend, develop offensively. But I think he just he got written off as just like a regular role player, and then he hits that shot against Boston in the playoffs, and people are like, oh, geez, like OG, right? <laughs> Love how that played in there. That was not planned. But it, there you it's, go. it is funny to see that he hits a shot like that, and it's almost like that kick-started his confidence on the offensive end, and he shot it efficiently last year as well. So uh, I'm not mad with OG being at 53. If I was starting a franchise and I needed a role guy to play the three that had ups, like had potential to be an all-star, OG would be one of those guys for me that I'd be looking at. Van Vliet and Harris, they're both going to be on my list next week. Spoiler. Uh, so, I mean, they're not going to be in the top 25, so it's obvious that they're going to be on the next list, but, uh, Van Vliet, I mean, he had that incredible game for Toronto last year. He's now the, the most points in a playoff game in Raptors history, or most points in a regular season game in Raptors history, which shout out to him. Uh, I, I at one time thought that Jeremy Lin should be playing playoff minutes over Fred Van Vliet. And here we are now having him in the top 50 top 50 for me, 52 for you in regards to our lists. And then Tobias Harris, he's just a guy that you could put on all 30 teams in the NBA. And I feel like he would find his spots because his ability to defend, to shoot his size, just he's a guy that you love to have on your team And Philadelphia is really lucky to have him. So I'm not mad with, with those five at all. All right. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, we have walked all the way up from 100 to 51 so that means moving forward you're only going to get the top 50 players in kenneth and in my eyes and i don't think that you're going to see you know much name difference as far as you know mentioning them but probably the order of where we have them you'll see 
a little bit of a discrepancy and it it's just the way that we consume the game man and hopefully everybody watching and listening uh you know obviously we don't expect everybody to be you know hand in hand you know lock foot step for step with our opinions but you know at least understanding the perspective that we have behind our list and hey if you got any any beef with our list let us know man we'd be happy to, or or girl um we'd be happy to to listen to any sort of uh differences or i'm open to hearing other people's perspectives as well and you know try to put me on game if you think that i'm looking at the nba wrong love to hear your logic and reasoning behind it so kenneth what do you think of the the bottom half of the top 100 so far I really like it. We, we've differed in, in some guys. We've been very similar on some. That's the way that it's going to work with lists like these. I mean, we'll probably be looking back 12 months from now at, at these lists and thinking, man, I can't believe I was so high on that guy, or I can't believe I was as low as I was on that guy. But that's the fun part of it. It's the NBA offseason. You know, we're still a couple months away from tipping off, but it's always fun talking about who we value and and seeing, as you said, how we consume the game and, and how we analyze everything. We're always going to differ, but we'll have some similarities along the way. And that's what makes these lists so fun. And that's what makes life beautiful, you know, different, different opinions, different way of viewing things. But ultimately, we can come together as mature, grown adults for the most part. Right, Kenneth? And, uh, you know, walk away, maybe not seeing eye to eye, but a little bit of hand in hand here on the show. But anyway, Kenneth, let's go ahead and let the folks go, man. This has been fun. Uh, do you got anything in the works that you want to share for the listeners? Uh, we've got some football stuff coming up. Obviously, we are a couple weeks from the NFL season uh, kicking off here. So uh, top 10 fantasy running backs list is going to be out on Friday. Definitely something you're going to want to tune into. Golf's going into a little bit of a break here for a bit. I know we've still got a couple playoff events, but uh tough to tough to bet on events when you know you're only top 70 players or top 30 so uh we're going to be staying away from those as you should you should be a responsible gambler when it comes to these sorts of things but uh a lot of great stuff coming up we've still got 50 through one to go through over the next number of weeks we're going to get into some uh division previews as well along the way a lot of off-the-ball network guys, I'm sure, are going to be hopping on here to make their case as to why the Knicks are going to be a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. So, Yeah, absolutely. And so, Kenneth, that brings us to an end. Uh, I didn't mention it on the radio show, but for our faithful podcast listeners, uh, Kenneth, you're going to be kind of taking the reins here for a little while. This is the last show that I'm going to be on, you know, duty calls, so to speak. But um, it's been fun, man. I'm sorry that we've only had a couple of shows to do together as co-hosts, but, you know, it's you, you signed the contract and then I let you know the bad news on the back end is that you now you got a, another show to carry for a little bit. But really appreciate all you do, man. I uh, love the work that you've done and uh, can't thank you enough for, you know, wanting to come on here, breaking the game and help, you know, just keep the show running and uh, looking forward to see kind of what you do with it. You know, this is, you know, now as much your show as it is mine. So looking forward to seeing what breaking the game does uh, over the next few weeks. And when I get back, you know, I expect us to be on TV somewhere, you know? So, I mean, it's a, it's going to be a good time here on breaking the game. So thank you so much, Kenneth. Definitely, man. Really looking forward to it. And uh, obviously duty calls, but you will be sorely missed. And uh, 
looking forward to seeing where where the show goes obviously it's got to be on tv when you get back so we got to get rolling right yeah i mean we've we've been on for about a year now so i mean it's next and next step is the next right we're on our rookie deal it's time it's time to get that contract extension and you know small market big expectations you know high ceiling all that fun stuff so uh you know it's just part of the part of it you know when you're dealing with the superstar like yourself kenneth but uh you know, the network's goaded out, man. So I'm expecting big things. But, you know, shout out to Off the Ball Network. Go to offtheballnetwork.com for all of your sports needs. But that's going to do it for us here on the podcast, Kenneth. Um, we'll go ahead and close out and let the listeners know that um, we'll catch up with them next time. Much love, everybody. Much love.